0: This is a Hot Pie Original. Hi, and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Amy Edwards. And of course, I'm excited. I'm excited every time. And I'm like, this is so good. So uh, today we're going to talk to Ella Kosiba, who has been a professional racer in Spartan races and obstacle races and overcome bulimia. And she was bulimic through her racing career. And she talks about a true story of transformation. And I could not be more stoked because the conversation is so fucking good. So let's do this today. I'm going to talk to you a little bit and then we're going to roll into Ella. And then we've got something at the end to just check back in and find our space. So let's slow down a little bit. I'm so grateful that you're here. Thank you so much for joining today. And let's do this thing. Okay. Are you slowing down a little bit? Are you running around a lot? Sometimes I listen to my podcasts like on fast speed because I got to just zip through them. But um, when I'm doing that, I feel like I'm consuming so much content that I'm not retaining it. So I'm hoping to design these with a little more space and a little more room for our minds to actually absorb things. And that's kind of why I do them in these segments too. I do my segment, do the interview segment and then an ending tag because I want you to have options to like break it down and really absorb it if you want to. So, that is why I do it like I do it. And that is why I also try not to keep them too long because, you know, we're busy people. Um Ella today is really interesting talking about how she blocks time and uh, she doesn't. She tries not to get too disciplined about it, but at the same time, she really does stay super conscious about her schedule and her habits and found that super uh, valuable because I, I don't know, I've been studying some time blocking and just really thinking a lot about getting more disciplined with my time because I'm not near as disciplined. I know that probably surprises people, but I'm not near as disciplined with my time as I, I would like to be. But I, I also want to give myself freedom of space, you know, the, the freedom to plan something on a moment's notice or to drop things and be with my children and be present or with my partner. All right. I light a little Palo Santo. I breathe, I slow down a little bit. And so today we're talking about how to heal and become your wildest, truest form. And like I said, she talks about the habits, you know, She talks about the darknesses as she calls them, but we also talk about not labeling things and really looking at the habits that don't serve us and the habits that do serve us in our highest good. And it got me to thinking about too, this has been coming up in the last couple of days, about habits that aren't even ours. I was talking to a friend yesterday and she started telling me how she realized in her marriage that she has adopted her husband's habits and kind of lost her own. Not kind of, she has. She's she's gotten out of touch with who she really is in her own habits. And I think we can do that with a partner super easily. I have found that uh, I may be now that I have a partner, I, who I live with, I'm like, sometimes feel like I might be imposing my habits on him. And I feel like I'm probably giving into some habits of his that might not serve me and my highest good. Like, um, she and I talked today about your phone at bedtime and he does that. And I do it. I'm real susceptible to it. And so you know, I, I always laugh because it was that one guy uh, who played Ryan, I can't think of his name, on The Office. And he has a really f- famous tweet that went viral. And he was like, does anyone else ever see someone pick up their phone and you go, oh, well, don't mind if I do. And you pick up your own, you know. So it's like this invitation to stare at your phone when other people are, rather than put it down, stay conscious of what serves you. And she was even like, I'm drinking coffee with him every day. We're in a rut of what we eat. She was like, I don't even drink coffee. And yet I do every day because it's there. And so, so many times things are just there. And so we do them. And I was talking last week about getting really conscious with our habits. I think that's a good thing to get conscious of. Like maybe you're getting conscious of your habits, but you can also go like, is this even mine? Am I, am I doing it because it's just there and what do I really want and what really is going to serve me? I talk a lot about sleep and so many times we can give into other things that people want or people are doing or that are just there, like our phone And instead of doing what can really serve us, like sleeping, for and that's just I'm using that as an example because, um, a couple episodes ago when I did the five things, that was number one is just is is allowing ourselves to rest and sleep and honoring that. So, you know, in losing ourselves, we can get conscious of that, and we can find ourselves too. So, um, just thinking about my friends saying that. She became conscious of it. And and once she did, now she can better find herself. And what do, what do we do to do that? I think we write it down. I think that's a, an effective strategy. Really noticing, first of all, Ellis talks about that. She talks about awareness. And that's one of the things that really clues her in. And she gets pretty disciplined about her own bulimia and... Things she can do to combat that and take some discipline. Yeah, but first is the awareness. And then, you know, she said she'll write down exactly what led up to that moment. So I think that that is a strategy. And I'm wondering about employing it in my own life and how I can. And I think for me, it is that awareness and the discipline of really setting it down and giving myself the space to say, what's really going to serve me in this moment. And then actually. Doing it. Imagine that. Then actually meditating for five minutes, then actually putting our phone down and going to bed, reading something, doing something that um, is learning, perhaps, you know, reading. (sighs) And it it does take some discipline, but awareness is a good place to start. Awareness and writing it down. So I just want to give you some really, really simple, practical, you know, tactics for cluing into that. So, um, and doing those things are part of being true to yourself and valuing yourself. And that's really fucking cool. And part of loving yourself truly, which is what we're going to get into with Ella today. I'm so, so excited. This, this conversation just flowed. And I mean, I didn't even really want it to end. (laughs) I just, I felt like we could have kept going. And I mean, sometimes I always feel, well, I always feel like that, but this was really special and I'm just stoked that she said yes. So I'm going to go ahead and cover this really quick. If you want to find her online, Instagram is the place that she's most active. And her name is Ella Kosiba, K-O, spelled like Kachuba, K O C I U. B A. And she's there on Instagram. She has a Patreon as well, where she does her nude modeling, where we're going to talk about too, just getting in touch with her body and appreciating that. And then she also has a Twitter, but I don't think she's as active there. And then she's also, she said, you can email her too, Ella at inquiry.com. I N K E R Y. That's a private tattoo studio. That's here in Austin, Texas. I think they work by appointment only. And She's been tattooing for a couple of years and I just I can't wait to get a piece by her. I'm like stoked to have after this conversation that was so meaningful to me and so powerful. I'm really excited to just have her mark on my body uh, for sure. And just some of the beauty that she can create and bring. And uh, she's just all about transformation, overcoming shame and being truly who you are, embracing and loving your truest, wildest fir- form. And that what doesn't talking about what the things that don't serve you and how to handle a disorder when you're in the spotlight as well. So it's really, really powerful. And I'm just, I'm excited to get that started right now. So stick around till the end to give a little recap, tell you how to sign up for the newsletter and things like that. Oh, I do like a little, I do an intro you've listened. I don't know if you've listened. I've listened to a few. Okay. So you know that how I, how my structure is. So. We just jump in and start talking. Yes. Um, And I like to set an intention... I like to set an intention as we get started. Oh, wait. So let's let's have some Palo Santo and just sit for a second. I just feel like we're always rushing around
1: so much and even you. What, so what's early for you? You said you got up early today. I'm around 530 as well. Yeah. Because I want to be moving at six. So I always give myself like a 30 minute like cushion, like yeah. 10, 10 minutes of maybe just lingering in the bed and the next 20 of like, okay, I'm going to get up. Yes. I'm going to kind of like come to and then by that time I'm like, Okay.
0: What are you doing when you're lingering in the bed? Are you like focusing mentally on something or I'm actually just kind
1: of like loving on the dogs? (laughs) Ah, no, that's good. Yeah. I kind of intimately love on them and it kind of like, you know, gets you in a lovey mood. And then I just get going. I try super hard to not touch the phone, to not look at it right away, to not because there's always emails, there's always notifications. Always. And I always notice when I look right away at that, you get pulled in. And then my 30 minutes of coming to is spent just like looking at the screen already so I'm way too familiar with that yeah so I really try to stay away from that I try to just kind of like be sometimes I might sit there and like meditate sometimes I'm just kind of like maybe I go straight to the sketchboard and I kind of doodle a little bit or journal okay yeah so I kind of get out a little bit of creativeness and then I pretty much just go straight into a workout oh good for you yeah yeah that damn phone though it's a trap and it it's becoming more and more of a trap yeah
0: yeah it is for me too and i see justin doing it and um my kids like i have to take it from them in the morning and it's really because i'm like they're gonna fucking start that so early in life and so my little one just got a phone and so she's already uh, like even this morning she already was watching tiktok and i was like no you know you can't like we've gotta but i have to model it too and i don't always i look I I go check my Instagram messages because you get so many messages there. You know, it's like...
1: That's the thing is you have to stay up to date. You have to stay relevant. So it demands a lot out of you. But there's a part of me that's like, no, I don't want to listen to that demand. (laughs) I want to do it when I want to do it. Well, but you should. Yeah. We have to honor like real
0: life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just, it can get away from us. So thank you for sharing that. I, I like to know any processes you have or any regular habits or anything that you implement too. So anything that you feel called to share around that too is fantastic. So, um, so yeah, we lit, we lit the Palo Santo. I just feel like that slows me down a little bit. And I just, um, my intention today, I was so moved when I got to hear some of your story on Sunday. And thank you for sharing that because we all went out hiking and, and just, I didn't, know much about you. So, uh, thank you for sharing that. And I just was so excited that you said yes to this and we could do it.
1: I'm honored. Thank you for listening to my story and wanting to know more. It means a lot. Well, um, we were with a group of people
0: and I just thought you handled it with such grace too. like, cause I could tell that it, it, the, the things you said were just so, um, like experienced with sharing, but experience with tapping into your own emotions around it. Cause I think, you know, we, we, we were with Justin and he has a way of saying like, Oh, tell them this, tell them this. And it can, I, he does it to me too. So I know that it can bring something out where you go and you, the way you said it, you go, well, well I think what Justin is, is inviting me or pushing me to share, you know, and yeah. you really like allowed it instead of resisting it. And that was beautiful because so many times we can resist sharing our story and you just handled it with such grace. I thought that was a really beautiful thing.
1: Well, thank you. And I've started to really come to understand the importance of telling telling your story and also not feeling ashamed of it. You know, like understanding that you can speak on things and not act as if you know everything. You can speak and you can share and you can help. And there's times where I feel like I have a hard time always speaking on my experiences because I don't know how it comes across. But that's usually just a self-doubting thing that's going on in my head and yeah. and plus experiences in my life that have taught me to hold that back. So just mm-hmm. always trying to like keep that open has been a, a huge lesson that I'm constantly trying to tap into. I think for me too, it comes up
0: like a worthiness because like even Sunday we were around people that are really accomplished. Oh yes. And, um, and you are too. And so for me, I had a moment like even while you were talking or whoever was talking, um, uh, Sung was with us. And if you missed that episode, it was, it's really fabulous. Um, and I just had a moment where I was like, if I was to talk right now, I don't know what I would say about my own life that I've even accomplished that compares with these people. And, um, isn't that sad? But comparison is a thief of joy because no. done so No, I, I much. know that. Yeah, I know that. Yeah. But, you know, we still have these moments where you're like, what
1: would I even tell? That's, that's our ego. It you is. You know, it's always wanting to get in the way because it's trying to survive. And you always have to <laughs> like have it just enough, but not enough. You know, mm-hmm. just keep it, keep it on a nice leash where it can run six feet or whatever, but you have control. Yeah. So it doesn't run too far away. Yeah. Yeah. I know that. And I know that. It's just a practice for me. It's one that I think we're always going to learn the hard way too, Mm -hmm. time after time again in different ways. Yeah. So it's always going to see, it's always going to test how graceful you are with it.
0: (laughs) Yep. Yeah. (laughs) It sure as hell is. Uh, So let's just start talking a little bit about you have, uh, deeply transformed your life and you are such a risk taker. And I just, I'm not even sure where to start. So where do you usually start if you're telling someone your story? Cause I want to hear everything. I know I heard some on Sunday and, um, and I just, I just want you to start. I know you've been a professional athlete and, um, overcome bulimia. And so, um, that is not an easy thing to overcome. And so,
1: I guess I'll start from when I'm a baby. Okay, Uh, great. Because I grew up in a really small town outside of Austin called Liberty Hill. Yes. And I like to slide in the fact that I grew up when it was country. Yeah. (laughs) It's like (laughs) suburbia country. So what I mean by that is like I grew up running around barefoot, barely any clothes. I was with my animals. I was very much engulfed with the nature around me and my creatures. And you have Cherokee. Yes. Mm -hmm. And my dad is Cherokee Indian, so I have a lot of Cherokee blood in me and I really feel close to that. So I grew up like that. And my family is very well known for being extremely progressive, extremely athletic. My oldest brothers really treaded the way for me and my sister. They were like all-star football players. So by the time I was about 10, 11, 12 years old, I started to have serious back issues to the point where I became almost like crippled constantly. I was in so much pain that I some days I couldn't go to school. I was in a metal back brace from the collarbone to the pubic bone that ended up causing more neck damages. And what was it? We were trying to figure it out. Uh, so I actually had an initial accident that caused the, the back to become really painful I grew up racing horses in 25 and 50 mile competition. So I was getting ready for a horse race. I fell off. That initial fall actually broke the L4 and the L5 in the back, but we didn't know at the time. So we spent a year uh, going through about six different doctors. One doctor gave me Oxycontin. I was uh, pretty much addicted to heavy narcotics at that point. Which at I, age 11 or 12? At 12. And so I remember that came into effect later on in my high school years. I had... I played around with pills. I have chills. I have chills, yeah. I mean, if you were to ask my mom about that time, she says, I am responsible for most of those gray hairs, but you know, no one really took the time to understand the pain I was going through. The doctor even I had one doctor even tell me that I was being just a big baby because every time I went to a new, new doctor, the X-rays wouldn't show much are like we just couldn't figure out what was going on with me. There was days where I couldn't move my left leg, could barely get out of bed. They're like suck it up. Yeah, and I mean, like for some facts, it maybe they were right, but they didn't know what was actually going on. So push comes the shove. I actually had a doctor who well, actually I shouldn't say that. She was a chiropractor who did not actually have her license, and she did a treatment on called decompression on me. Oh my god! Which is where you put uh-huh, you put a strap around your rib cage and run around your hips, and they just give you traction. Okay. So this is great for clients who have like a slip disc or something like that because it allows the spine to kind of breathe and the disc can kind of fall back into place. However, with me, I had a very special birth defect that no one knew yet. I was born not connected to the sacrum. My spine was essentially just floating. So as she pulled, it just continued to rip all the tendons in the back that held me together. There was one day that I remember. It I'm tra- was, tra- I'm,
0: tra- I'm getting traumatized <laughs> over this by proxy.
1: Yeah, mm. I remember just one day in particular. They upped my traction by fifty pounds, so twenty five each different way, and the the chiropractor left and. I just remember this splitting pain. And the best way I can describe it is you know, well, you know, because you have a guitar I used to play. Mm-hmm. When you pull like a string really tight and it splints or it breaks and it kind of just like sheds out. Yep. That's what my lower back felt like. I could feel all the tendons and all the muscles being just kinda... ripped. Yeah. And like splayed and all that. And anyways, I pass out. They get me off the table. You pass out. <clears throat> After that day, I basically could not use my body for about two weeks. I was in excruciating pain. We got very, very lucky. We had been trying to, my mom and dad had been trying to get me into a really good spine specialist named Dr. John Williams. Uh, He still does practices out in like, I think, Round Rock, Austin area. And luckily they had an opening like two weeks after that incident. I go in. This this is only, you're 27. So this is 15 years ago. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. This doctor spent five hours with me. He did X-ray, MRI. He could see that I now had spondylothesis, but he was extremely... Which good. is that, separating? or No, spondylothesis is kind of similar, but what spondylothesis is, it's like the vertebrae degenerate in the lower back, and then they'll sometimes just fracture and slip forward
0: Whoa! versus
1: backwards. So okay. it was like slipping towards my abdomen wall. And I also had my entire lumbar just, just degenerating. So... I almost like try to like, not in a joking way, but my spine, imagine like Smeagol, like it was like strong up here. And then it just started being like 80 years old and then it broke and then just did not connect to the, to my lower half. Wow. So he knew that there was something else wrong with me. So after that appointment, two weeks later, I went for experiment, uh, exploratory surgery. And they thought, oh, this be about five hour surgery. Ended up being nine and a half hours. Oh my! They God. had to drill a huge block of bone that was in between my spine and sacrum that was just floating. So during that whole year of doctors trying to figure out what was wrong with me. The reason why they couldn't figure that out was because there was an actual floating bone there that hid the two brakes, hid the fact that I wasn't connected. So they drilled that out. Then they connect me with four metal rods and six screws. So I am connected like two C hooks. They go into my spine and into my sacrum. So when I bend over, it's like that. Okay. Little two hooks. Okay. They actually, the metal rods actually stick out of my sacrum. So like laying on hard surfaces now as an adult, I just really can't do that. It hurts really bad. Yeah. So I had the surgery when I was 13. And then, um, after that moment, like, I don't really remember grieving. I don't remember like crying much over what I was going through. I just remember suddenly life was just pain and that was just it. I I have journals from those time, and they're very simple. I remember just writing like, "I can't wait to ride my horse," you know. But I don't think I ever acknowledged what I was feeling. Yeah, uh, and so. I kind of like went on with life. I had a really, really hard time getting back into sports. I tried super hard. And were um, you still in pain at this point? Yeah. I still had constant like nerve issues that would go off in high school. Like I remember there's a few times where like the sciatica would go off during class and my whole left leg would go numb. And they'd have to like escort me out. Like the teacher would pick me up and take me out. I had pillows that I would bring to school to sit in and kids made fun of me. I was going to say, I'm sure they did. Because because also, yeah, because when you're 12 and 13 years old and even in high school, people are brutal at that time. Yep. No one took a moment to understand what I was going through. Um, No one really even seemed to care besides maybe some adults. So I really connected with adults when I was young. So Mm. not that I didn't have friends, but adults were the ones that were trying to understand me. Mm-hmm. So you know, I, I struggled, but I ended up getting to a point where I could only run. So by the time I was a senior or junior senior, I was just running. And in my early high school years, I partied a lot, did a lot of drugs. I was very, very sad, but I didn't know what that sadness was yet until I started to really try to focus on my fitness. And then that's when I realized, oh, I can control my body. I get to control it now. And then so I started practicing very anorexic-like behaviors, started really restricting my food to the point where I started eating maybe 500 to 250 calories a day. And each time I would get on like a treadmill or a Stairmaster, I made sure that that 500 calories was met on that machine plus some more. Mm -hmm. So I started getting very, very OCD and very, very ill towards myself. And then sure enough, once I graduate high school, I took it super serious. I started like just competing and competing. I was, I was entering into like all these 5Ks, half marathons, and I still would have like lingering side effects and complications with the back, but not enough to stop me. And every now and then I'd have like the legs be weird or just just constant back pain every day. But I don't know any other way in terms of living. Right. Like my back's always That's felt, normal. That's yeah. your default setting. Yeah. My back has always felt like just just throb this heart and uh, yeah and so like <laughs> sure enough i started competing in all these things and i started to kind of like collect a name and this is like kind of 2011 so social media was starting to become a thing instagram was developed sometime around that time and i remember i showed up to uh at my first tough mutter. Mm-hmm. i won it Two weeks later, I went to the 2011 um, Spartan Championships out in Glen Rose. I didn't realize it was a big race. I didn't realize it was a championships. I won that thing. by What what is that race? Uh, Spartan. It's Spartan. So I did a Spartan. That one was a Spartan Beast. So there's Spartan Beast. (laughs) I'm just going to show up. (laughs) Yeah. There's like Spartan Beast, which is like your longest course for that. It's anywhere from like 12 to 14, sometimes 15 miles. Um, I've honestly been out of that life for a little bit. So I know there's the Spartan sprints and there's another one, but you know, they're categorized with distance. So I showed up, I won, uh, it was the championship. So I, that's not one of the death races. No, I ended up doing that. Okay. We'll talk that started. that that I just kept going. But after I won that race, I, I guess I got a lot of attention. Plus, I had like leopard hair, and I was just a thing. And (laughs) you, I would paint. Yeah, (laughs) I would like paint my face up, put my hair in mohawk, and I would just really embody like that. Like I would just feel how I wanted to be in that race. Like I was gonna win. I was gonna present it, and I was gonna be it. And I've carried that because I I have just such a burning underdog feeling. You know, Mm -hmm. growing up in such a strong family and dealing with being like quote-unquote, weak my whole life. Yeah. It felt like, you know, I always had things to to prove. prove. Yeah. 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 To a very, like, it burns in my soul. So... After that, I got contracts. Like they just started rolling in. And before I knew it, I was on the Spartan Pro team. By the time I was like 18 years old, started traveling and doing all these races to the point where I got fourth ranked worldwide within a year or two being into that field. Wow.
0: But... What the field is called what? like Obstacle racing. Obstacle racing.
1: And so like, basically, I was still bulimic though. Every race I did, I was just purging and binging constantly. To this day, I don't really know how I did what I did, but it's a beautiful thing. We are so much more capable than we realize. When we're in survival mode and we know we need to get something done, we're going to get it done. And that's how I was functioning. Mm -hmm. I was going to get it done. Even though I was damaging my body, my body could barely do it. I did it. I was going to do it. You
0: know, that's some strength.
1: Always the mind It starts Mm -hmm. there. Even though I wasn't being very good to it, I knew I was capable you know, Mm -hmm. I'll just push that. So, you know, I just started progressing in my career and started getting a lot of attention for it. Um, And then, you know, later on in my career, the bulimia got more and more of me.
0: Like, what does that mean?
1: (laughs) Well, first I've always been kind of isolated because of my pain. So I kind of like lost a lot of friendships just because like I would deal with a lot of pain and not be able to do things. And then when you're young, Like in high school and right out of high school, me chasing those fitness goals, I got a lot of backlash from people that were close to me. They didn't really understand it. They thought I was just seeking attention or like whatever it might be. So I kind of lost a lot of like close friends chasing success which i think happens a lot because let's be honest not everyone is climbing that ladder Mm -hmm. and it can get a little lonely so as i reached for the top especially in a small town like especially in a small town they don't want to recognize that someone just like them is you know doing their dreams when they realize that they could be doing it too right because we're all responsible of our own lives Mm -hmm. so you know as i kept reaching you know It just got more and more violent, like in terms of like I started practicing almost six times a day, like vomiting and like every meal by this point, uh, maybe like two or three years into my career. I was just I was just throwing it up. Uh, I I knew somebody bulimic way
0: back when and she said that um, she said she could just think about it and throw up. Were you like that or did you have to like no, actually I'd have to, make an effort?
1: I'd have to make a real effort. And it was crazy because my body would actually try to resist it. Wow. Like later on in my career and trying to let go of bulimia, I would remember like, you know, as violent as it is, I got to the point where my fingers didn't work. So I would get forks. and Wow. I would, I would put forks down my throat to make myself vomit. And the hardest part was like, always right before you do it, like my tongue would press against it the tongue and they would try to, you know, stop it. But once I got that fork past the tongue, I would numb out and I would proceed. Um so in 2013 Thank you for sharing that. Yes. In 2013, I actually um was purging and I actually lost grip of a fork in my throat. And it was probably only in there for like 10 seconds, give or take. But I literally had this flash of like my mom finding me dead. (laughs) Just realizing that I was going to kill myself because I'm so extreme. I want things so badly that, you know, I was going to do what I needed to do. And for some reason, I thought that was what I needed to do because as I was getting success, you know, I still had the bulimia and that bulimia was also my dark side. My dark side, I love her because she's a go getter, but I was feeding a little too much in it. So that's why I was so lost. And, you know, it's never about the food it's about controlling my body. I never had that. So I was really lost in that. After that moment, two hours later, I was back throwing up. So I realized how lost I was. So I realized I had to step away from competing in order to, to you know, see things clear and to get away from it. Because as much as I love to compete, it was a huge trigger. Like there'd be moments where I was quote unquote free from bulimia for like a week or two. And mm-hmm. then I would be like getting ready to compete. And then I'd notice that that angst, that anxiety, that OCD-ness, that perfectionism. Would come in. And then before I knew it, the week of the race, when you're supposed to be taking it easy and tapering, I was binging, 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 throwing up, throwing up, throwing up, throwing up, all the way until the night and the morning of my competitions. Every race I did was with bulimia. So did people know? The thing about me, too, is like there was a few people that were friends of mine that, like, one time I went to go see a friend's house and they left to go do something and I ate like half their cake. Mm -hmm. And he was like, oh, like what happened? And I cut him out of my life because they inquired a little bit. They knew. And at that point, I just didn't want anyone to know what I was going through. I was very like protected. And I still wanted to maintain this like strong statue, which is funny. We talked about this on Sunday. Like I thought I had to be so strong by holding things in, but that was making me weak. So that was a big lesson. And I continue to learn that. But So I stepped away from competing. There's so much shame, like, you know, shame, shame is a huge thing. Shame is a demon. Shame will eat you alive if you feed it and he will run you, run you to the ground Mm -hmm. and you'll almost love it. You know, you'll be like, put the leash on me, you know, because shame almost like just keeps that discipline of that bad behavior going. And so when I stepped away from competing, I actually was let go from one of my first sponsors over my bulimia because when I opened up about it, they all told me it was weird. They didn't understand it. I looked fat and unathletic. And so I was disgraced, discriminated against my eating disorder. And so I left. I made it kind of black and white for me. I left the industry and I didn't really know what to do, but I knew I really had a passion for like helping people. Because during that career of being an athlete, while still having bulimia, you know, I'd go to these conventions or just like online presence. People would tell me what they were going through and what they really needed help with. And they would thank me for like doing what I had done. And I would always listen to these stories and I'd almost be like, the little girl in me would just want to be like, I am in that same position. I need help too. But I just didn't think that I could. I thought I had to hold space for these people like that. And I did. And so I'd listen. I'd give them the advice that I needed. And I was there for (laughs) thousands of people when in my own personal life, I didn't have much. I didn't have many people, you know, because at this point, bulimia isolated me. My pain isolated me. My fucking go-getter self isolated me, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't have much but these strangers, these thousands of people that were so thankful. So I gave And I gave and, um, basically, uh, I, my train of thought just like, I think that's so common. It's so common, you know? Yeah.
0: You were just talking about getting, getting past that when you finally let go of the racing and all that. Right. You know?
1: So after I stopped competing, I went straight into massage therapy. (laughs) So I got my license to do massage and... I loved it. Well, it's getting in touch with your body in a healthy way. Yes. And so I was, I was open about my bulimia at this point. I was really, really trying to heal my bulimia. And I was touching a lot of people physically, you know. And I consider myself very empathetic. And if I allow myself to be open, I'll feel what these people feel. And I'll be able to know what to give them. And I can still do that practice now. I just have to, like, know when to turn it on and off. Mm-hmm. And so I started giving a lot. But I'm also someone that lives in constant pain. So that was also a very hard task for me at times. Was Do like, you still? Yeah. Like, are you in pain right now? Uh, a little bit. Like, I went for a run this morning, and my back was pretty achy, and it was still pretty achy after. Mm-hmm. Just because, like, I wake up with discomfort. Usually my back is what wakes mm-hmm. me up, and I go to bed with yeah. it. Yeah. And it's, it's there for me every day.
0: Wow. Um, I can relate a little bit. I have a knee injury and a plate inside of it and a bunch of pins. And I had a terrible accident running in 2006. And my anesthesiologist, he was like, I thought you'd never walk without pain again. And when I really tap into it, I'm like, huh, I do feel it kind of all the time. And I think you get kind of used to it. I'm lucky I don't feel it like right now, I don't feel any pain. But um, you definitely get get used used to it. it. Yeah.
1: And then that's, that's like, It kind of deepens that sadness for you is that that you have to be used to discomfort like that. Mm -hmm. But that's the thing about life. It is kind of uncomfortable in order to get comfortable. So I was doing massage, but I realized it wasn't the thing that was going to bring me longevity. I wanted to give to people. I wanted to heal people, but me physically could not do massage forever. And I was still not satisfied, and still it's not on happy. your feet so much, and it's gotta hurt. You're leaning, and you're giving. Yeah. And I was really well known for deep tissue and like sports massage. So I was really manipulating and moving this these people's bodies. Yes, but you were pushing your own body again. Pretty, that's yeah. pretty hard. Like, yeah, yeah. But it, it was like a natural calling. Like, yeah, I wanted to give, and it was like I was going to regardless. Because, like, oh my god, Even I bet I- you give the best massage. <laughs> Well, so like I was still not very happy still. Um, I was still really struggling with my body image and my bulimia a little bit. Um by this point I would really stop the purging. So I was gaining a lot of weight. Uh so I was a little bit thicker, but I was still just like probably like underweight before, weren't you? I was so when I first started my career, I was 110 pounds. When I finished my career, when I walked away, I was 180. Oh wow. And I would, yeah, I'm maybe like 140, 135 right now. Really, and my body. I wouldn't like, have guessed that. My body is just chilling. It's natural. It's, it's good. Happy. It's good. Um, so like, but like the the 180 is like really surprising. But like, I remember the first time I saw a 182, and I always was at least working out throughout my bulimia, so mm-hmm. I kind of shaped it. But I mean, I was not healthy by any means. Mm-hmm. Um, so going back to the massage, I just realized I was missing a part of me. Like that wild little cute Ella, that happiness Ella. Like I tried to think, what did I used to always do before my pain became such a, like not a motivator, but a, it like had such a control of me. Dude, you had to go back then. So I did. And so Mm -hmm. I thought, oh my gosh, little baby Ella used to run around with her animals. She was always outside and she was always drawing. I would be inside drawing late at night, early morning, outside all day during the sun. So I started doing that a lot. I got myself a dog, started hiking a lot with this dog. Love Mm Kalua. And so I started, you know, kind of getting back to that really earthy root Ella. And then I started to draw again. And first drawing was just to heal myself purely and just to go back to those roots. But since I had such an online presence, it became quickly like a business without me realizing it. So suddenly, all these people started asking me for commissions, and then suddenly it turned into tattoo designs. And I've always been fascinated with body modification. I think it's a beautiful thing to make your home your home, and to not be afraid of well, showing that. I like the, the way you say that. Yeah, yeah, like this is our home that we get to go to bed and wake mm-hmm. up to. We don't know what's next after this life, so how do you make this yours? Um, and how oh. do you want to present it? Yeah. So like, I started realizing, like, oh my gosh, like I would love. To put my work on skin, Mm -hmm. so I started looking for an apprenticeship, and it took me about a good year, give or take. Uh, I got a lot of no's because everyone I asked was like, "I already have one," or "I'm traveling." Your stuff's great, but good luck. And I'm like, "Ah!" But I kept looking and looking, and I ended up getting an apprenticeship, uh, 2019. And as I just started working through my art and really embracing it, I all those like bulimia, like OCD. Now those feelings are still there. But I now know how to like disagree with them and how to recollaborate them. And the best way I've like learned that through this process is like bulimia is like walking through a forest and you come to a field and you see like this like crazy field and then you see a really nice trail. And you're like, oh, I should take that trail. And then you go on that trail and then you go back to exactly where you've been because you just did something that's familiar. If you have a habit that you've been doing for years, whether it's self-sabotaging or not, like you're just always going to choose it because it's familiar. You have to go get lost. You have to go into that wild. Yeah. And and so I just had I forced myself to just get lost. It's really hard to do
0: because you know they say those neural pathways become ingrained. And have you I don't know if you've watched this. It was on Netflix's um Explained. They did one on psychedelic. Alex, and they were showing mm-hmm. how our brain functions, and they likened it to a sled going down. Um, a mountain and you know, the more times the sled goes down, it's going to follow that exact same path. Exactly. Just like you're saying. And yeah, yeah, same concept.
1: Yeah. We do that. Yeah. The brain brain just wants to do what it knows. Yeah.
0: The first time I I've been doing ketamine journeys Mm -hmm. for the last year and I suffer from ruminations and that exact pathway thing. And uh, I do it more like with things I think and beat myself up about. And so, you know, that's what the ketamine did. Like it just blew those old trails. Yeah. It blew your trail away. And so there was just grass over it now. So you just can find a new way of You had to make your own going. path. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's been a big learning thing for me, but I like your analogy. It's super accurate to me.
1: Yeah. And it's really relatable to no matter what you what you're dealing with, Mm -hmm. like understanding that growth is extremely uncomfortable. It's going to feel like you're lost. It's going to feel like you lose everything, but actually you're gaining so much more because you're not just doing that same habit. You're not just staying on that same path. And that's extremely important to understand that you have to do that. Uh, And no one's going to do it for you. You have to do it. I know. That's the bummer. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Damn (laughs) it. Why can't I just sign up and get it done somewhere? (laughs) Someone just lead me through a new path. (laughs) Oh, shit. Yeah. So, you know, now I'm kind of here. I've just been tattooing almost about two years. And I absolutely love it because I get to touch and I get to be with my clients and I get to give. And, you know, I'm putting really, sometimes really, really meaningful art on people or sometimes just super silly, cute things. Mm -hmm. So it's really, it fills my soul and it's, so crazy because i was an artist before this journey like i always was drawing i just kind of neglected her i didn't realize i could have such a career in art and that's why when i meet people especially like your daughter young Mm -hmm. people that are doing art the first thing i say is don't ever stop doing your art do it because we are all artists we are all art which means you are the one designing and shaping your life but your art so you're constantly in different beautiful phases absolutely yeah so just understanding that and pressuring that into yourself and appreciating that Mm -hmm. you know do you think that you have some appreciation for the bulimia now Uh, absolutely it taught me so much uh it also made me like that's a thing you know rather than yeah
0: i'm sorry i'm gonna let you finish but that's i think that's just really hard to get to sometimes for a lot of people embracing those darknesses and it gave you treasure.
1: Yeah, honestly, um, it takes a while to kind of see that appreciation I would say. Um, but I started to understand like, the way I started to really un- appreciate my bulimia was the first race I did without bulimia. So I, in 2018, I did a 36-hour race, and I won it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> what was it? It was um, the Sisu Iron out in um, Monrovia, California. So it's an adventure race. So I started, I also in my career started doing adventure racing, mm-hmm. our multi-day races. So I that's started, some of the death races? Yes, ma'am. So, please tell you know, <laughs> just, The death race is like <laughs> Survivor and Saul combined, like the fuckery they have on that race and they lie to you they take your equipment you never know when you're starting you never know when you're done you don't know what task you're about to do you just have to work task at hand when you start thinking about man we might be competing for four days you're going to start to eat yourself up you're going to start to realize that you're not capable but you are so it's just (laughs) a huge life lesson honestly those races but um so i did that race Uh in 2018 I remember that prep because it was the first prep I did without purging, without binging. I went to that race and I won the shit out of it. Like beat the men. I beat the woman. I I was crying throughout the race. I remember just like (laughs) there was one task that was like a 17 or 10 mile run. And you're just out there. Gorgeous. That's what I also love about these races is you go out there if you get injured or if you quit, you still have to get yourself back. So I just remember running out there that's and I'm just so like, wild to me. if you just, get injured, <laughs> yeah. Or you just wait for someone, you know, and you just sit there like, Oh, my leg is broken. <laughs> so like, I just remember running and I just remember tears. And I just remember thinking like, this is what people feel like with a, with a brain that's on their side. You know, like I'm not, I didn't fight myself. I wasn't, you know, putting myself in a bad position. I was healthy. I was You know, for the quote-unquote wholesome, and I remember just like tapping into that feeling and feeling so appreciative of it that I don't even know if some people feel that for their own being. Like the you, you need the darkness to appreciate the light. Yeah, they attract each other. They are necessary. Mm -hmm. And I've spent a long time as a young kid being in that shadow self, being in that dark, that static life. That you know, realizing that that darkness gave me success, but my lightness lets it keep growing. You know? And so I just remember really feeling so appreciative of my mind and of what I've gone through because I could feel so much more depth. I could feel. And I could also understand like, Ed is still here today. Like, that's what I call bulimia because Ed, it's nice to give it a name so you can kind of almost like look it in the face. Why Ed? eating disorder. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Easy. Um, so like Ed would still, Ed is still in my life. There's moments where I feel a little dark. I feel very OCD-ness. I feel a little anxious and I have to recognize that that's my old habits. That's my old pathway. Wanting to, I'm wanting to walk it. How do I navigate that in a healthy way? How can I use that OCD-ness and anxiety in a way that actually progresses me and not puts me back on that regression? Then, how do you... Awareness, as like cheesy as that sounds, is like truly I don't being, think it sounds cheesy. Oh, uh, yeah. Truly being aware. <laughs> you're talking to somebody that's not <laughs> right? here. I'll say. <clears throat> it's like truly being aware of that world in your head. When you start like thinking of things and they feel negative, or you're starting to think negative. I try to backtrack myself because one of the ways I try to get myself out of bulimia was like, I broke myself down. I would be like, right before, after a binge, I would write down how I was feeling before, what I ate, if someone said something to me, if I said something to myself. So trying to see what was my triggers and to break them down. So I would really break down moments before my "Quote unquote" breakdowns to see where my habits and where my patterns were going. And it was just really like brutal to break yourself down like that. Plus it takes a lot of discipline
0: because it's so much easier to just be like, fuck it. I'm going to shove some food in my face. Right.
1: But I had a direction. I knew I wanted to be healthy because I really want to show people that they're capable of more because I have constantly seen that within my own self of like, doctors told me I would never walk. Here I am doing competitions that are 72 hours and Forgive me for bragging, but I would win them. I would do very well. You know what I mean? You should brag. (laughs) But like, I just wanted to show people that like, we have so much more in us. It's Mm -hmm. always going to start with the brain and how you're talking to yourself inside. So just being brutally aware of that and understanding if you're kind of negative, what is a natural placebo that can get me out? So if my natural placebos is nature, Mm -hmm. is drawing, is being silly. Mm -hmm. So like, whenever I was like, it would be funny uh, if I was like, in my later days of like trying to get out of bulimia, I would maybe like feel myself, you know, reaching for like a peanut butter jar to start a purge or a binge. And I would be like, no, nah, I'm just going to run out of the house. And I would go around the house and I would like put some weird music on and try to dance, go play with my dog. So I would try to put those endorphins in my head because I, I'm kind of like a nerd. So when I was really trying to recover from my bulimia, I would do lots of research on it. And one of the simplest things I found out about most bulimia patients is they have zero ter- serotonin in the brain. So I have nothing telling me I'm satisfied, nothing telling me that I'm happy. So how can I make myself feel happy without using those drugs of food or mm-hmm. whatever you choose? So the drawing, the, the intimacy with the animals or people around me, intimacy with myself. Mm-hmm. You know, so really trying to find those little natural hacks has been, that's pretty much how I really wiggled out of bulimia. Plus also speaking up about it. Mm-hmm. That's the hardest first step, but it's the step that's going to heal you the most it's it's the open gateway once you say it you are now out of denial because like the way I see mental disorders or mental health is like it's not your choice until you realize what you're doing is wrong once you realize what you are doing is wrong you are now in a denial state and it's up to you in order to get out of that denial state Mm -hmm. and to get out of it is to just literally say I think I need some help and that's the hardest thing for anyone to do because we've also been pressed to not really have those emotions or to feel shameful about them because Mm -hmm. we feel shameful too. I never wanted to feel like a burden with what I went through. I I was like, man, people look up to me. I can't have this, Mm -hmm. you know? So I did a lot of that own torturing to myself. And so really trying to make sure people don't fall into that because it's way too easy. It's way Mm -hmm. too easy to be sick. I
0: like too, that you said you wiggled out of it because a lot of times people just want to be like, Oh, a total 180 and like not wiggle out of it, but just take it off. Yeah. And you don't, you, you kind of don't do that with anything. I mean, like no. it's just baby steps and it's, pra- it's just f- practice. It's just a practice.
1: Yeah. And you yeah. just got to be on it and be honest with yourself, you know, mm-hmm. and have, have compassion. You have 365 days of the year. You're not going to be perfect every day. And your best is your best, sometimes it's fifteen ten, sometimes it's seven ten like that's the that's something I say to myself all the time, as long as I showed up for myself and I gave the best I could, then I should be happy. There is no other choice; I should be thrilled with what I did, yeah, yeah, and so congratulating yourself on your w's and your wins. Mm-hmm. I mean, your W's and your W's, your W, your wins and your losses. I don't know. I was like, W's <laughs> and your wins. Great. Yes. Win, 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 They're all wins. <laughs> yes, they because are. a loss is a lesson. <laughs> a loss is a lesson. Yeah. And it's still a win.
0: I'm, I'm a big believer in just reframing it to that and always there, there's no failure, you know, yeah. like happy little accidents. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, is uh, I mean, uh, your story is so powerful and so amazing, and I cannot thank you enough for sharing it thank and you. all that you've learned. And, you know, what is your, what does your daily practice look like right now? I mean, we talked about, we started out with talking about you getting up in the morning, but you know, are you real disciplined in like time blocking or are you disciplined in, you know, where
1: you do your art and and making time for that and that kind of thing? Yeah. So I go in and out of being really disciplined on time block. Um, No direction, no discipline or no direction, no discipline. So like I try to have mornings as my drawing time. Mm -hmm. So after I get my training done, depending on if I were to draw prior to it or after, I always create in the morning. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes like, I don't really know what the day is. I just know what I need to do. But most days are always executed with a training or some type of movement. And then I go into creativity. Mm-hmm. Uh, after that, uh, it's kind of like I've tried to adapt to less disciplined life, even though it really brings me a lot of like, um, it makes me feel good being hour on hour and having everything scheduled and blocked off. But that's also my OCD-ness. That's also my right. like, that's my you ed. You got to watch it a little bit. That's my ed. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I've tried to like... What's your sign? I'm Gemini Cancer. So I'm a a thing. (laughs) So, (laughs) so like, you know, I try to allow some type of flexibility with it, Mm -hmm. but I stay within reason. So I try to write down how productive I was each day. So like, you know, I have a task list. So I, you know, need to design for so-and-so, and and then I have time for me to design for whatever I want. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I may not draw because that may not be what I need to do because I draw for a living. So Maybe I go paint, maybe I do something else during that time, but I do really try to do times where I give to someone and work for them. Mm-hmm. And then I have my time. Yeah. I also really like to have solitude time. So I live with two brothers that are basically my brothers. I love them so much, but I find more and more often that, like, towards the evening, it's me time. I want to sit there. I want to read. I want to decompress. I put my phone away like an hour before I go to bed at least. Try to stay away from just like looking and scrolling and just like doing that task. Mm -hmm. Try to just really focus on Ella and what she needs so I can do the next day even better. Um, So I'm disciplined, but I've been a little bit more relaxed lately just because I try not to feed that too dark Ella because that dark Ella is very successful, but she will push everything out so that I just be like a line my way to success.
0: She might kill you on the way to success.
1: Exactly. So that's why I have to kind of balance that out lately. And mm-hmm. I'm kind of in this transition of figuring out how to have a really good balance with, you know, my light Ella and my dark Ella. Mm-hmm. Cause my dark Ella is the go-getter. Like I want to say that's the reason why I was so successful. I just knew how to shut everything out. I knew how to just, just get it done. Yeah. And you know, I get torn
0: on like labeling them light and dark, you know, because it's all part of the whole and it all makes us what we are. And like you said, you have an appreciation for those parts because they, they, they give, they have gifted you, um, the light too. Yeah. Or, or seeing the light right you know?
1: and technically they're they're together, so they, they yeah, are yeah, that's why
0: sometimes I just I've, I've gone through phases where I'm like I don't want to label them light and dark. I just want them to all be parts of the whole and just just allow it and, and trust that I'm going to fall into the ways that serve me best.
1: I love that, yeah you know
0: yeah <sighs> <laughs> Can we talk for a second about your Patreon? Yes, please. Okay, cool. Because I found this very interesting. Um, you have a Patreon too where you do nude modeling. Yeah. Right. And so that's another way
1: of appreciating your body. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think I see the body as art.
0: Yeah. And I well, just... yeah, you're, you're definitely, I do too, no matter what, <laughs> tattooed or not. Yeah. But yes, for sure.
1: And, um, you know, struggling with body image issues, doing nude art at first was like,
0: oh, so intimidating.
1: Out, out of your comfort zone. But I always had this, like, since I was a little girl. And so I'm Cancer and Gemini, and I know cancers are very sensual, but I've always been very sensual. Like, it didn't even matter what I did. People seemed to be very attracted to what I was doing and what I was. And so I I realized that I should just, I should fucking embrace that. Absolutely. I should not be ashamed of it's it. It's
0: part of the divine feminine
1: anyway. Yes. I, mm-hmm. And I will, you know, empower and I will become, and I will embrace it. So I actually started my Patreon to support my apprenticeship so Mm -hmm. i didn't have enough money to get into the apprenticeship so i started a patreon i was like sure oh my gosh did i not realize how much i love that though i love doing nude art i loved like showing emotion in the body and showing vulnerability yet strength at the same time and showing that it didn't matter what your body looked like it was always art it was always in its perfect face and you know just working on that and and just being really creative with it, you know, should, just the emotional fact of it. Cause a lot of my posing's like, you know, really like weird, not weird, but it's very artistic, if you will. And you've got some on your Instagram. I right? do, I, I do. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So like, I just found that a new love. And also, it allows me to not have plateaus with my art because if I'm feeling struck, uh, stuck with my drawing or my tattooing, I'm like, ah let's go model. Let's go do some photos. Cause that's another way I express and I become. And also when I model, it's almost like when I get behind the camera and if I'm with um, a photographer I'm comfortable with, which always, I just almost feel like I transform and I kind of have like this, like feeling like, like I have a little, like a, like a feeling of like ears and I just become whatever I need to become. Mm -hmm. And I portray that feeling and I put that feeling for that image. And I really feel it when I do those things and try to portray that as organically as I can. So it it allows me to kind of be those creatures I feel inside. Yeah, especially the nude. You're just kind of like, this is my body. This is my life. This is my home. I am not ashamed. No, I am not ashamed. (laughs) Mm -mm. I feel that
0: way very much. I mean, I'm really... I'll strip down wherever I don't care. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I just am not shy about it, but you know, I still have my own hangups a little bit, but, um, Tattooing is a funny thing, too, because I have a friend, Flip Solomon, that did that big piece in my house, the lions. saw that, And um, she told me that she always hated her legs and then she got them tattooed. And she was like, no, I love my legs. And I felt that way about my back. I don't have a lot of ink on my back, but I do have some and I didn't like my back. And then once I got it tattooed, I was like...
1: I like my back better now. I love hearing that. Isn't that wild? Um, I resonate because the same with me. Yeah. I hated my stomach. And once I got my stomach tattooed, I was like, what? Really? Your stomach's so cool too. Thank you. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I feel more like me. And so for me to give that to people and allow them to feel more comfortable since I've never been that comfortable in my own body internally and out and externally, like it was just amazing to be able to continue that circle. So Mm -hmm. like... I love hearing that because so many people come out of a tattoo and you see that they have now become more themselves. Right. Yeah. And that's all I want for people is just to evolve into their being that they should be.
0: I think that's why it gets to be such a, like, not necessarily an addiction, but a thing where you just keep going.
1: Once you get one, (laughs) you're like, oh, I'm in now. I I understand this. And it's interesting because like um, the psychology behind tattoos is like, I have a lot of clients that sometimes like. I don't know if they were mentally ready, but they pushed themselves and you could see that there's times where they just didn't think they were going to make it. And then we get done and they're like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I was going to make through that tattoo. And you're like, fuck yeah, you did. You did it. You You know, and that's something I've learned constantly in my life. I've had so much body pain, so much back pain, but yet I would go out there and I would go do my training. I'd go do my things and I would do them as well as I could. Mm-hmm. And it was like constantly I showed that I was capable and I'm now seeing more and more people, whether it's a reward of more art on their body or, you know, accomplishing different tasks or entrepreneur, like they were realizing that, oh my gosh, if I just put more belief in myself, I'm going to mm-hmm. yeah, get there. Yeah. I am going to get there. Yeah. This it's all about. Yeah. Like just believe and love yourself. Yes. Yes. It's really easy to go one degree over and put fear and hate though, but If you just continue to be like, no, I love, I want to love, I want Mm -hmm. to be loved, it's going to come and you're going to feel it. Yeah. yeah. I want to get a tattoo for me.
0: Yes.
1: let You're thinking, uh, please, please
0: put your ink on me. Yeah, I know it's been like, like you mentioned my daughter and I know I told her I was doing this with you and she was like, oh, she got really excited because yesterday we had a pretty serious talk about her becoming a tattoo artist and yeah. she's, you know, about to turn 16. And that's really what she wants to do, I think, or she's really considering it. And I said you know, if you get a tattoo or if you become a tattoo artist, you're probably going to be covered in tattoos because uh, yeah. they're walking
1: billboards yeah. and it helps. I mean, and I- she goes, I'm okay with that.
0: And I was like, okay, you know, and it's such a beautiful thing. And I have tattoos. I'm not going to, I'm like, huh. I mean, I support this and she's an artist and I'm like, maybe that's the right path for her, you know, yeah. this expression. And I just think there's so much value in it. So
1: anyway. Yeah, There's different types of tattoo artists too. You know, I came from Mm -hmm. a shop that was a little bit more about the lifestyle, about making the money. Mm -hmm. And then now I work with people that like, they're about transforming, about giving and about consciousness. So it always depends on which choice you make. They're about transforming, huh? mm -hmm, And so your tattoo shop's about transforming? Yeah. Yeah. I work with Scott. Oh, I know who you are. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we're really about giving and loving and Mm -hmm. not about the flashy showy life of what I can attain with tattooing. Yeah. It's mm. it's about giving, not just, oh, I'm a tattoo artist and I can do whatever I want. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's interesting perspective. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to send her to you when she's ready to print. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I love it. I've seen her art already and she's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You guys have similar art styles, yes. I think. So yes. yeah. Um, anyway, she she wanted me to talk to you about it. Too, so <laughs> she was like, be sure to talk to her. So now it's on the podcast. Now it's for real. Um, We are about out of time. Is there... Is there anything that you feel called to share before we go or any message that really speaks to your heart because I know, you know, embracing and loving yourself is really your message and um I just I just want to give you the opportunity to share anything else that
1: I guess something that I've been kind of like echoing in my head lately is since I've been such a giver my whole life I've always done this like responsibility thing of taking so many people's burdens and trying to hold that space, but realizing that everyone's on their own journey. As long as you leave the light on and you put that love into yourself, that love is going to kind of leak out into other people. We're not responsible for them. We're only responsible for ourselves and being that bridge. And so like, if you're someone that just gives and gives and doesn't re- receive your own treatment back, understand that you actually are the one capable of giving. That yeah. treatment back. Do not look at other people, but look at yourself and continue to give to yourself as much as you give to others. And that hopefully will return back to you and manifest in a way that you get that love back and you're not feeling that pain of other people of trying to take care of them. Because I found that constantly in my life, I was just trying to give, I was trying to share the information I learned so that no one else felt my pain, that no one else would get like that lost and that that troubled. And they would see that their success is right there with them after each failure. But You just have to do your thing. You have to be responsible and trust your thing. And people are going to see that and feel that. And when they're ready, they will do theirs too.
0: I feel like you're talking straight to me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that's a huge thing for me lately. And and I feel like there's a wavelength happening with people. And so hopefully that that helps a lot. But just remember that everyone's on their own journey. Just make sure that you are taking care of yours. And it's such a paradox, but that is how we transform. And that's how we take care of others is by ourselves. It's so paradoxical and funny. Yes. Yeah. It's, (laughs) it feels
0: backwards, but it's not. It's not. I know. And I've really leaned into that in my own life, but it's taken me this long, you know, I'm 48 and it just has taken me, thank you. But it's just taken me, you know, this long to realize and better late than never. Just the awareness about it is
1: all you need. And now you have it. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: And it's just uh, like for me, I set a practice and like I have to work at it every day and I forget. And then I come back and I forget. And then I, you know, hear you say all these things and I'm like, oh, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, just trying to practice what I preach. Yeah. And that's why
1: it's so important to really have in depth, uncomfortable conversations too about Mm -hmm. what you're going through, what you want to experience, because that's going to make you learn what you actually want. Yeah. You know, and if you never talk about it, if you never get it out, it's just. It almost just goes away and disappears and eats you somehow. Yeah. And
0: not only that, appreciating the dark spots or just the teaching spots, the lesson spots, the, the parts that have made you who you are. Mm-hmm. So many people want to push those aside and pretend that they don't exist. And part of it is just saying, yeah, and being totally open and honest. You know, mm-hmm. you know, here's, here it is. This is what has shaped me into the person I am today. And I'm appreciative of it. Right. I, someone one time was putting down my hometown and this was years ago. It was somebody I knew from high school and school. And, um, I got offended cause I was like, that shaped you into who you are. That made you the person that you are today. And I'm going to stand up for it because I am, i recognize the value in that good and bad or what not even labeling it. No, just like that shaped me into who I am. Mm -hmm. So I'm
1: grateful for it. You can't deny your roots. Your branches will never grow if you do. Damn, that's a good quote. Why why don't you tattoo that on somebody? I think we got that on tape.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I was like, that's a first time for me. I don't know. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Yes. You can't deny your roots. Otherwise your branches will never grow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That is so beautiful. It brings tears to my eyes. And, um, and I'm just so grateful that you came on here. So let's give everybody how they can contact you. And of course we'll have it in the show notes too. And I'll go over it at the end as well. So, um, Go ahead and spell your name for everyone too. So so. my
1: name is Ella, uh, E-L-L-A, and then it's Kasiba, K-O-C-I-U-B-A. You can email me at ella at inquiry, which is I-N-K-E-R-Y.com um also i'm pretty responsive on like instagram that's pretty much the only like super active social cool. media that i'm on mm-hmm. but i am on twitter and then of course my patreon you can message me there all um, your name yeah everything is just my name i kept it real simple
0: great yeah great yes. well that's easy enough to find because it's right there in the show title Yeah. so um ella i just uh really value our friendship that has just begun and thank you
1: can't wait to have your ink on me Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> that is no. happening. Yes. I can't yes, wait 10%. Thank you. That'll be amazing. Love you. Love you too. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely beautiful. You're so welcome. <laughs> you're so welcome. I'm so glad. I'm so glad you said yes. Yes. <laughs> Major
0: thanks to Ella today for sharing her story and being so incredibly honest. I cried. <laughs> and, um, I just I I'm so grateful just to have this platform to share with all of us. How lucky are we? And just tapping into that gratitude. Remember that you can find Ella too and you can reach out to her. You can email her Ella at inquiry.com or on her Instagram, Ella Kosiba, E-L-L-A-K-O-C-I-U-B-A. And um and again, just you know, stay conscious of those habits and Tap into what's not yours because that's autopilot. You know, that's just going through on autopilot. I do it. I totally do it too, with eating even. And like when she was talking about the bulimia and stuff, it got me thinking about so many times I just reach for something on autopilot and I want to catch myself. I want to get, I want to be better. But you got to cut yourself that slack too. And you got to appreciate the darknesses. You got to appreciate, or let's not even label them got to appreciate the whole, right? The whole creates who we are. And that's really a beautiful thing. So breathe into it, breathe out. Maybe even after you're done with this podcast, just turn it off. Turn it all off for a little while. I've been driving around in silence lately. And that's weird for me, but great. I'm starting to really appreciate it. It just gives you that time with your thoughts and just some time to settle. So maybe, I don't know, maybe like that's something that can serve you. Maybe, maybe pay attention to the habits that you have of listening. You know, do you need a little break from content? Do you need to just slow down? Let it absorb. That's okay. It's okay to just get quiet. It's okay to drive in silence. It's okay to know that the messages and everything are still going to be there and you can tune back in later. You can give yourself five minutes i have a song on my on my song a track on my phone that's called a a a a a very good song and it is 10 minutes of silence <laughs> and so it comes on first cuz apple music is fucking weird um and it always comes on first track so you know load that song on i don't know just like listen to silence just let yourself be a little bit and um i don't know just don't be afraid to write down Uh, your habits and really take a hard look at them and go, is this even mine? And is it serving me? And what do I really want to do? Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much for being here. Don't forget that I have an Instagram live meditation every Wednesday at 9 a.m., but you can watch it on your own time uh, on my Instagram at RealAmyEdwards. You can sign up for my stuff at AmyEdwards.com. I have a newsletter that's going out every week with just a little more in-depth thoughts on each episode and what it brought out for me. And also, there's lots of free content on my website. I've got those five habits. I've got a meditation on there that you can download for free. And I'm going to be doing more of those even here. So I'm really stoked. So if you can subscribe, rate, review, uh, that is a beautiful thing for us podcasters. It really makes a difference. And you'll be getting that interim content too, which is going to be a series of meditations that I've been prepping for. And I'm really stoked because it's called Beyond Belief. And um I'll do a four-parter with that. And listening to a meditation via podcast feels novel to me. So I'm excited to do that and aligned for me. So there's uh, there's that. Sign up for the newsletter at com. Share with a friend if you feel called. I mean, I think this episode in particular speaks to anybody. Bulimia, not bulimia, man, woman, whatever it is. There's a lot of... I know Colton just said that when we were talking about it Uh, a few minutes ago here in the studio. He was like, "This anybody can get something out of this. And I totally agree. Totally agree. So maybe there's somebody you just feel called to share it with just about being really honest and how beautiful that is and how powerful that is and how there is strength in that vulnerability. So thank you so much again. I'm Amy and here is wishing you just light, love, peace, health, wealth, joy, bliss, abundance, money, honey, all of it to you until next time. Peace and love. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked this show, please rate and review. It totally matters. And I encourage you to spread the love too and share this episode with a friend if you feel called. Find me and my newsletter. Sign up at amyedwards.com. And you can also connect with me on Instagram at Real Amy Edwards or in Clubhouse at Amy Edwards or write to me. It's amy at amyedwards.com.